If you're new here, we don't start every message this week. This way, i let you know that first. But I was wondering, when you were a kid, did you ever lay on the couch upside down and just imagine, like wonder what it would be like to walk on the ceiling? And some of you might be thinking, especially the guys, you're like, of course I dreamt of being Spider-Man. Not, I'm not talking about that cool. That's not what I did. I actually just wondered what it would be like to walk on the ceiling. Like what it would be like to navigate those rafters up there and the HVAC up there and climb on that wall. When I was a kid at home, like, could I hopscotch over, like, the, uh, the ceiling fan or whatever? Did you ever, anybody? Nobody's with me on this one? I don't see any hands pointed to the sky. Or maybe, maybe if you're my age or around my age, maybe, maybe The Matrix was a big deal for you. Uh, the Matrix was... One of my favorite movie series of all time. Thankfully, there's a new one that came out, so the kids are with me on this. But, like, did you ever wonder if we're in the Matrix? Like, <laughs> come on. I, I actually have a friend. He's, he's kind of weird. But he says it's statistically more likely that we're in a simulation than we're not. I don't know that I can get there with him. But I just I wonder, like, given the choice between the red pill and the blue pill, would you take the red to know? I mean, to know that? Would you, anybody, take the red pill? I need an answer. I, I, I would take the red pill. So maybe, maybe that's you guys. Maybe for some of you, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. <laughs> maybe for some of you, that wonder, as you got older, that wonder turned to something else. You, don't, you didn't really know what it was, but that, that wonder was like, as you sat here on a Sunday morning and, and you listened to the message, or maybe you were singing a song, and out of nowhere, this, this whisper, what if none of this is true? Did, did you say something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you've sat in these seats and, and had some of those thoughts. Maybe, maybe as you grew up, you, you had an idea or a thought, and, and, and I've had some of these thoughts, too, where you thought... Man, it would be so great if someone I loved or maybe your grandma who followed Jesus and has passed away. It would be so great if we could, you know, just spend a few minutes with them, right? Like if they could come back in a non-freaky way, like sit down and have coffee together. And they could let you know, like, hey, you know, you're on the right path. Like you're, you are believing the right things or, or you're doing the right things. Or, hey, maybe you're off here. Maybe none of what you believe is true at all. And they, they could let you know that. Well, actually, in, in the New Testament, there were 13 different times that the writers of Scripture tell us what theologians actually call post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Uh, 13 times where after the crucified, dead, buried Jesus actually showed up in his physical presence and appeared to people. He, he appeared to a, a few women at the tomb just on the third morning. And he he appeared to two guys who were on a walk to a different town. He just showed up with them and he, and he appeared to them. And, and he appeared to the, the ten disciples. And, and later he appeared to all 11 of them. He, he actually showed up in a, in a group of like 500 people they called the brethren. He, he, he showed up in person. Jesus shared meals with his disciples after he was already dead. The crucified Jesus, the Jesus that, that they watched hang on a cross and they watched have a spear dug into his side and they watched blood and water, they watched him die, pulled down from a cross, wrapped in cloths and set in a tomb. That same Jesus, they had breakfast with him 
on a beach. Could you, could you even imagine? Could you even imagine what that would do for you? The, the way that that would build your faith. Uh, the, the way that that would build all the faith that, you, that you've ever had. And, and, and you would never, you, you would never disbelieve or you, you would never have questions. Right? I mean, at least that's, that's what I think about myself. That if I, ha- if I had seen him, if I had walked with him, especially if I had seen him after he had died, I would never. Well, that same Jesus, you know, on the beach with his disciples eating breakfast, the, the same Jesus who was dead and, and now he's not dead. That same guy asked his disciples, he said, hey, could you, could you meet me up on a mountain in a few days? And so a few days later, those, those disciples, they show up at the mountain that Jesus had asked them to meet him at. And this is what we read about what took place. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they, they did what you would assume they would do. They worshipped him because he, he was a dead guy that was now alive. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And you might be thinking a lot like I was thinking, surely that, that can't be right, right? Like they just had breakfast with a dead dude. Uh, that, that same guy asked them to meet him at a mountain. He was there when they got there and, and they worshipped him, but there was, still, there was still something else. There's another story, actually, uh, a story that might, we might relate to pretty well um, that might fit more our story today. And it's a story of a father. And this father, he had a son who who as scripture tells us, he was possessed by a demon. And, and that demon made it so he couldn't speak. And, and that demon would throw him into fire and into water and, and convulse his body. And this, this father was desperate. And it's pretty easy to assume this father knew who Jesus was. Um, everybody knew who Jesus was around then at that time. And it's, it's probably likely he had seen Jesus. That he had crossed paths with them or that he had seen Jesus actually perform miracles because he had some belief that Jesus could fix the issue that he had in his life, that, that Jesus could heal his son. And, and so when Jesus came back around, he talked to Jesus. He, he asked him, and Jesus was there, and he said this. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us. And Jesus said to him, if I can do anything. It's one of my favorite lines. It, you just put yourself there for a second. It's kind of like hold my beer. Um, if I can do anything. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. But sometimes I don't believe. I know you can, but can you? God, I know you're there, but are you, are you, really, are you really there? I, I believe you're good, but what about all this? What about all this bad? What about all this evil? I know you can heal, but will you? I have faith. But I also have doubts. And that's the tension. 
That's the tension that we all live in. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you may not express the tension this way, but this is the tension that we live our lives in. It's the main reason we're doing this series. In fact, it's, it's why this series is called When in Doubt. Not if in doubt or not maybe someday there, there could possibly become a time that maybe you might be in doubt. But when in doubt. Because we all have doubts at times. And in fact, there's a, a quote from an author that I like a lot. His name is Barnabas Piper in a, in a book that he wrote, uh, Help My Unbelief. He says this, Christians who don't, oh, where this? <laughs> Christians who don't know the tension of I believe, help my unbelief, might not be Christians at all. Or at least they might be very infantile ones. Our faith is one of brutal tensions. Not everyone can express this, but every Christian knows it. And if you haven't felt it yet, if you haven't ever felt the tension of those questions, as a follower of Jesus, let me be honest with you, it, it's coming for you. The, those little whispers, the, those questions, those concerns, those thoughts, it's coming for you. And, and I can say that with such certainty. And I can say it with certainty because the writers of Scripture are clear. We have a very real adversary. We have a very real enemy, and his name is the father of lies. And so it's his job, it's his entire purpose to, to create doubt in you, to, to speak whispers into your mind that, that you wouldn't have thought of on your own, to, to, to put in these little seeds of something in hopes that they might grow. And left unchecked, the smallest seed of doubt has the power to destroy. So I, have you ever found yourself there? Have you, have you ever been there with me where, where you're full of faith, so full of faith, and, and, and you so much belief, so much understanding, and yet still these questions and the, these doubts. And for me, at times, I feel so close to God. I've, he feels so present, just so with me that I, that I can almost feel him. Uh, so much so that if you told me he wasn't real, I'd say, your mama's not real. Like, that's, I, I, just, I just know he's with me. And then other times, I've got questions. You may not want to hear that from one of your pastors. I, I understand, but I, I have real questions. I, I have times that I wonder if what I've given my entire life to, if it even matters. I, I don't have as much doubt of whether or not a God exists or that God exists. Those, those thoughts don't really enter my mind as much. But sometimes I wonder and I question, can I ever help anybody find him? Uh, I, I wonder, like, am I doing the right things to help people find him? Am I following him the way that he wants me to? Do I even need to try? Does it even matter? Those are the questions that I have. Have you been there with me? I want to know if you've been there with me because when you have doubt, it's scary. When you have questions, especially in my role, let's be real honest, it's very lonely. You want to ask questions. You, you, you want to voice some concerns, you, some, some things that, you're, that aren't just adding up for you, some things that aren't connecting. You want to say them out loud, but what would they think? 
What would my friends think? What what would my tea life group think? What, What would my mom or my dad, what would they think? And you begin to wonder, like, am I the... Am I the only one? Am I the only one that's ever thought this? And then the, the guilt and the shame, it, it can be overwhelming. And so with that guilt and shame, just like in any area of our life, any, any sin that we might have in the same way doubt feels the same, we just hide. Uh, we just step back and we step away and we, and we try and pretend like it's not even there. And we try and fight and muscle our way through it. And I'll be really honest with you. I, as somebody who's been in ministry for a really long time, I believe that some people are leaving the church. They're walking away from a body of believers, maybe even walking away from their faith completely, not because God isn't good. I I would even say not because they don't believe that God exists, but because they have questions they don't feel comfortable asking. They have things that they don't quite understand and they don't believe somebody would be gracious enough to talk about it with them. If you grew up in the church at all, I'm sure you felt it. Where it's like, if I, if I say this out loud, I'm not going to be accepted there anymore. Uh, this group of friends that I have or this group that I'm a part of, if I say that out loud, they're going to think that I don't love Jesus anymore. If I say that out loud, they're going to think that I don't want to follow him anymore. And seeds of doubt... They can take root in people and they can grow in people and they walk away. So I wonder why do we have doubts? I mean, what are the things that, that create doubt? And I, I, three ideas that I thought of, I'm sure there's plenty more, but one of them is just that. We have questions that we can't answer. We have all the whatabouts. Uh, we have the, the science says this, or the world says this, or my buddy says this, or my therapist gave me this book. And, and we have all these questions that we can't answer, like why are there mosquitoes? And so we begin to have these doubts. But we don't quite understand the goodness and the greatness of God. And sometimes there's situations that seem unfair. And I should probably strike that word. There are situations that are unfair. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And the suffering of the children in a war in Ukraine and we we lose loved ones that we don't understand. And nothing seems fair and so these seeds of doubt take root. And sometimes there's hurts that you can't resolve. You're betrayed by someone you loved. Someone you loved did something to you. And it, and it hurt and you, and you can't resolve that. You can't reconcile that. And, and maybe, maybe it was a, another follower of Jesus. Maybe it was your church or someone within your church. And, and they hurt you in a way that you couldn't resolve. You couldn't get past it. You couldn't give forgiveness. You couldn't be forgiven. And, and the seed of doubt, it, it took root. And you felt like church, maybe it was, you felt like it was a safe place. And it turned out to not be. Sometimes, let me tell you, followers of Jesus, just let me talk to you for just a second. Uh, you make it worse a lot of times. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But people have real questions. They're real, honest, gut-level, heart-level questions about faith and God. And they have good intentions in asking them. They're not trying to walk away. They're not asking questions to be challenging or judgmental. They really want to know. And as a follower of Jesus, we don't have the answer, so we pretend like we do. And we say, the scripture says it, so I believe it. That's why. Conversation over. 
And as people begin to hit up against a brick wall long enough, no room for conversation, they walk away because they know they're not welcome. They know that what they're dealing with isn't welcome in this place, and so they walk away. And so follow Jesus, Christian in the room, we're going we're gonna to challenge you on that a little bit later. And parents, we just finished a parenting series. It was great. Uh, but let me tell you, it, don't freak out. When we have children who grow up in the church, uh, I have four kids who grew up in the church from the day they were born. It's all they've ever known. And yet my 21-year-old has chosen not to follow Jesus. And so at some point in his life, maybe he had questions I wasn't willing to answer. Uh, maybe for you, your kids come and, and they, they start asking questions and, and you just assume that, that they're challenging you and your faith. Well, what they're, what they're really trying to do is they've seen your faith. So good job, parent. They've seen your faith. They just want to know if it can become their faith. They want to know if they can begin to get some of their questions answered and begin to feel like Jesus was really the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. And so parents, don't freak out because of this. I, I believe the church and the home should be the safest place to ask the hardest questions, and it hasn't been. It hasn't been. And they need to be a safe place because your faith is a journey. It's, it's not a destination. You don't ever just arrive at faith. You, you, don't, you don't take enough classes or, or do enough work or read the right books and then graduate into faith. You got a PhD in faith. Congratulations. Somewhere along the way, along this journey of faith, there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be bumps. There, there's going to be questions and there's going to be doubts. And I want, I want to show you. Over these next four weeks, I want to show you that your doubts don't have to take you away from God. But navigated properly, dealt with properly, doubts can be a catalyst to a stronger faith in God. Because the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows while navigating through doubts. And so for the next four weeks, I'm, we're going to do our best to try and learn how to do that together. We're not going to try to learn how to never doubt. That would be futile. It would be useless, pointless. We're not going to try to learn how to eliminate doubt completely. But how to navigate through doubt in a way that grows our faith in Jesus. We're going to do that starting today uh, looking at a guy named Thomas. Uh, Jesus, his second appearance. So he, he had appeared to the, to the women at the tomb and then the second one that we read about, he shows up in a room full of his disciples. And so he's there. Thomas wasn't there. He had gone out to get some milk. I don't know. He wasn't there. And when he comes back to the room, this, this is what we begin to read. This is how the story continues when Thomas shows back up in the room. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Uh, the, the way this is actually written in Greek is it, it's an active. We have seen the Lord. They say it over and over and over again to Thomas. But Thomas, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And this is the reason Thomas is known as... 
Doubting Thomas, yeah. Whether you have a background in church or not, or you're a follower of Jesus or not, you've heard the term Doubting Thomas, so congratulations, you're with us on that part. We all have an idea of who this Doubting Thomas guy is. And I want to tell you, I've made this observation about human nature. It's a sad and kind of funny observation that we have a tendency that when other people are down, when other people are struggling, especially with something that we struggle with or they're kind of, you know, they're struggling with some financial issues or, or, or whatever, something that we struggle with, it, it, it kind of makes us feel better about ourselves. Like, how sad is that? That when we see other people struggle, we feel better about our own struggles. We feel better about ourselves. In fact, I, I preached a sermon a while back where I had mentioned that I'm starting to lose my hair and I got this spot on the back of my head that I'm super self-conscious about. Not really, I don't care. But I, I'm going bald. And... I mentioned in the sermon, my brother watched the sermon, he lives in California. My brother's been struggling with hair loss since we were like 18. He's just flat, skin bald. And he messaged me and he said, man, it makes me feel so much better to know that you're going bald. It brings joy to my heart. (laughs) And I said, I said, Billy, I'm so glad that my pain and hurt and lack of joy in life is bringing joy to you. That's, That's what he did. But it makes me feel so much better. That the same disciples who walked with him, that the same disciples that saw him do all the miracles, that sat around a campfire with him and, and heard even more than we could know it from this book, the same ones who had breakfast with him on a beach after he died, that they still had these nagging doubts in it. And it makes me feel better. On the flip side, though, I mean, you see someone who's going through something that you go through. You see someone who struggles with some of the same things that you struggle with, and if you watch them navigate through it well, doesn't it give you hope? Doesn't it give you a little bit more joy to know that, that possibly you could make it through as well? I mean, I mean, look at you, sir. You're bald, and you look like you have joy, and so that gives me hope. <laughs> I didn't point at anybody in case <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> see, I, I, think Thomas, I think Thomas got a bad rap. Really, we look at this, this little section of scripture under a microscope, we give him a a nickname for the rest of eternity. But I think he got a little bit of a bad rap. I think Thomas is a lot more like you and me. I think Thomas might have been a a realist. I I assume Thomas had some real hurts in his past, some some experiences or some disappointments that that he'd probably been through some stuff and he had some questions. And so he he just wasn't going to believe on the word of somebody else. And so I think he's a lot like us. And And I don't think any of that made him bad. None of that made him less a disciple of Jesus. None of that made Jesus love him less. It it simply makes Thomas human. Oswald Chambers, he's he's a famous Christian author. He says this, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It actually may be a sign that he is thinking. Thomas Thomas actually didn't have faith issues. In fact, if I was ranking the disciples from top to bottom and, and who had the strongest, most bold faith, I'm telling you, Thomas is going to be near the top. And if you look at John 11, uh, the story of Lazarus, Lazarus was a man who was a really, really good friend of Jesus. I'm talking high-level good friend of Jesus. And therefore, by proxy, his disciples as well. And, and Lazarus had fallen ill and, and the disciples knew about it. Uh, they knew that he was sick. But in the town that Lazarus lived in, the religious leaders in that town were actively trying to kill Jesus. They were actively trying to kill Jesus' followers. 
And so they weren't with Lazarus when he was sick and, and Lazarus died. And Jesus finds out about it and Jesus knows that Lazarus has passed away. And so this is what we read about that portion of the story. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. If you don't know the story, Jesus is about to go raise him from the dead. That's kind of a key portion. I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, our doubter, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. That's not, that's not a lack of faith. That's not a lack of faith at all. That's a bold, courageous, warrior-style faith. See, whatever questions that Thomas may have had, they paled in comparison to his understanding of the fact that Jesus was Lord and he was ready to go die with him. He was ready to walk alongside of him and go die with him because he believed enough. A little bit later in John 14, Jesus is telling a story about what's about to take place, what's about to come up. And, and he, he uses the phrase that he's going to go and prepare a place for them. That he's going to go and prepare a place for them when all this is said and done. And Thomas is the one who stands up and says, hey, Jesus, I don't, I don't know where you're going. How do, how do I get there? I don't know where you're going. How will I find the way? And he didn't say, no, nah, Jesus, I don't believe you. He actually believed that Jesus was going to go and prepare a place for him. And that's why he asked the question. He wanted to know how he could get to where Jesus was going. Thomas had bold faith. And Thomas had doubts. So how did Jesus respond to Thomas's doubts? Well, I'll tell you, if you've ever felt shame or guilt for your doubts, if, if you've ever believed the lie that God was mad at you, frustrated with you for your doubts, if you... If, if you've ever felt the need to hide your questions, you need to listen up because I guarantee the way Jesus responded to Thomas is not how you'd assume he'd respond to Thomas. And we read about this a week later. It's kind of a key piece that Thomas doubted a week ago and he still showed up. He doubted seven days ago. He didn't know if he believed, but he kept showing up and Jesus shows up a week later his disciples were in the house and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. As somebody who startles very easily, I understand this verse very clearly. I know why I would need a peace be with you. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus didn't scorn him. Jesus didn't shame him. He didn't question his love or devotion for him. Jesus came to Thomas. Jesus came to Thomas where he was in the midst of his doubt. And Jesus gave him what he needed. Just like I believe Jesus can give you what you need, proving that God is not distant in your doubt. Jesus is not some far off savior. He's not just waiting in the wings and just far off to where we can't see him. Or He's willing to be touched. He's not hiding from you. If he feels out of reach, reach out to him because I guarantee he's reaching for you. You can still question 
You, you can wrestle, you can, you can have doubts, but your doubts don't disqualify your faith. See, the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows while navigating through doubt. See, the devil, our enemy, our adversary, he's going to use doubt to try and drive you away from God. But God can use doubt when navigated properly to draw you closer to him. And so the whole point of this series, like, I, I don't want to just talk about the fact that we have doubt. You, you already know that. that. That would be a waste of a message. It would be a waste of a series. We want to talk about how are we actually going to do anything about it. How, how do we navigate through doubt? And I, I've got three things that I think might be helpful for you. The first one is this, ask. This one has kind of two parts to it. Ask people. Uh, if you have thoughts and questions and things aren't adding up for you and you have some concerns or doubts, ask them. If you're a part of a tea life group, ask your tea life group. Maybe someone else has had the same questions. Maybe there's somebody else in that very same group who is hiding in shame about the questions that they have and just you bringing that up, bringing it to light in front of them and with them will help them navigate through it as well. You can walk through it together. Maybe you're not a part of a, a T-Life group. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus. But, but you're seeking something. You're, you're trying to figure this whole thing out. And I, I challenge you, find someone who is following Jesus and ask. And let me tell you, let me go back to this from earlier. As a follower of Jesus, let me talk to you again. Uh, don't feel like you have to have all the answers. And please... Don't pretend like you have all the answers because you don't. You can walk with them. You can, you can show them truth, preferably truth from this book. You can help them. You, you can have conversations with them. You don't have to have all the answers. But I believe doubt has the greatest opportunity to destroy when it's unexpressed, when it's hidden. The second part of this one is ask God. Just like Thomas Asked Jesus, where are you going? I, I want to know how to get there. Just like the father of the young boy said, hey, I believe. Would you, would you help my unbelief? If you have children, if you're around children or you've ever been a child. I think that covers everybody. We understand that at one point in our lives, we never had issues asking questions. We would ask questions all the time. Children ask questions all the time because questions are the means with which we learn. If a child asks a question and they don't understand, they, they ask another question. See, questions aren't the indication of doubt. A asked correctly, questions are an indication of trust. Questions actually indicate the fact that you believe that the person you're asking actually has the answer. You believe that the person you're asking actually have the power to give you what you're asking for. So ask God. But when you ask, ask well. There's two ways to answer a question. There may be more. I only thought of two. You can ask like a researcher. Or you can ask like a prosecutor. See, a researcher, they, they might have theories they might have things they think they believe to be true, but they're, they're asking questions to test those theories. 
They're asking questions in hopes that they might find actual truth. They're not asking questions to prove what they already believe to be true. You see, a prosecutor, they have answers they expect to hear. Anything unexpected is unacceptable. So to ask well, you have to be willing to receive an answer. And this, I understand, this is where I'm going to lose some of you, and that's okay. Um, Asking well also means knowing when to lay your questions down. Sometimes there simply aren't going to be answers. Or at least not at this time. It's unlikely that we'll ever forget our questions. I understand that. But we have to know when to shelve them. There may come a time where we can pick them back up down the road. But maybe this lifetime never provides answers. But if we don't learn to put away some questions, they'll end up eating our faith from the inside out. This is an extremely hard truth, especially for people who don't follow Jesus yet. And I, I get that. But let me tell you, this is how you want it. You want this to be true. You want to believe in and serve a God that is bigger than you, that is more powerful than you, that, that is more understanding than you, that is more gracious than you, that is, that is more just than you. If you could know all there is to know about God, he would be too small to worship. You see, God is infinite. And, and while, our infant, our, while our finite minds, we can understand portions and aspects of his character, even those can't be fully understood. His biz, bigness is too big. His goodness is too good. His wrath is too terrible. And his grace is too profound. His knowledge too deep. And because of this, God is inherently mysterious to us and we simply cannot fathom the fullness or even a portion of the fullness of who he is or what he does. And you want a God that big. You want a God that big because your needs are that big. And you can't have it both ways. You can't have a God big enough to handle all that you're going through. You can't have a God big enough to supply all your needs and a God you can fully understand that doesn't exist. So there's going to be some questions along the way that you'll never know the answers to. And that's how you want it. And so when you ask, ask well. But then hold tight. So I've got a a little observation about my own doubt. About the own, my own questions that come up. And my own doubt is birthed in the desert. You see, when I go a long time without hearing from Jesus, without feeling his presence or, or experiencing him move in my life, usually my own fault because I've decided not to spend time and be with him. That's when things spring up for me. And I can remember at times, I'm not going to come freak out this little girl again. <laughs> I can remember times sitting uh, in these seats, uh, begging God to speak to me. Begging him to move. Because I just wanted to feel something again. Because at one point in my life, I felt something. And I have plenty of days where I don't feel anything. I had times in my life where I heard something and I have more days that I don't hear anything. And I can remember sitting 
at a first Thursday, it was, it was one that stands out to me. This has happened multiple times. Saying this prayer, God, I, I don't need to hear you now because I heard you then. I don't need to feel you now because I felt you then. I don't need an answer now because you gave me an answer then. And it's not easy. I want so badly to hear him all the time. I want to hear him speak to me. I want to hear him tell me that the path that I'm on is the right one. When I have a question, I want to hear him give me the answer. I want to know he's proud of me. And so I keep asking. I keep asking. And I keep believing that the work that he has started in me is not finished. And so when I have questions or doubts today, I hold tight to the proof that he's already given me. The the transforming work that he's already done in my life, the saving grace that he's already shown me in my life is proof enough for my doubts today. And so I hold tight. Kind of wrap up. The story of Thomas. See, Thomas, tradition shows that, that he preached Jesus for the rest of his life. Uh, until about 72 A.D. or so, when he was finally martyred in India. Where they drove a stake through his chest because he refused to surrender the lordship of Jesus. Do, do you think that from... The story we read until the day that he died, he didn't have any more questions? Of course he had more questions. But he was able to hold tight to what he knew to be true. He was able to hold tight to what he had seen. So maybe, maybe you're right in the thick of it this morning. Maybe you're just like the father, the little boy. You believe, but you have some doubts. You believe that Jesus was actually here on this earth in physical form. You believe that he was murdered on a cross when he had done nothing wrong. You actually, even though you didn't think you'd ever get there, you actually believe that he did that for you, for payment for your sin. But there's still so much. There's still so many whatabouts. And for you, I think there's two questions that you need to ask this morning. First, I just believe you need to ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. That's, that's the first and ultimate question. And then the next one is, Jesus, would you help my unbelief? And in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Jesus is not offended by your doubt. Jesus is not angry because you have questions. Jesus doesn't question your faith. See, because the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows while navigating through your doubts. Let me pray for us. God, this is so hard for us to understand the fullness. Um, and 
I know that you're bigger than we can ever understand. And, and so I want to walk in that. I, I, I want to I walk in faith and belief of that and, and being okay with some questions that might come and go and maybe never have answers. So would you give us all the grace to walk that way? For those of you that never put your faith in Jesus, you can just pray something simple like this. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave and that you did that for me. For payment for my sin. So that I could be in relationship with God. Would you be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life? God, throughout this week when questions spring up, how would you give courage to ask those questions? Would you give courage to the people in this room and watching online to be able to say, God, I have these questions or, or friend, I, I have these concerns or these questions. Can you help me navigate through them? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.